Hey everybody, it's Jeff and it is Monday night. It is the Savage Gentleman live podcast. We've got a great, special, interesting, you know, well-known guest with us tonight, Kyle Lamb. Kyle, tell us a little bit about yourself. It's awesome to be here, Jeff. I tell you, we've been watching the Ready Man stuff and you got some good, I I wanted to help you out with some videos, but our stuff was such low quality (laughs) that uh, I kind of chickened out on that. But man, you got awesome stuff going on. That's complete BS. Don't believe a word (laughs) of it. Yeah, so I'm a former SF guy, much like yourself. I was in the Army for 21 years. Most of that with a special mission unit and uh, got out in 2007, been running Viking Tactics ever since. So I do some training for people. Uh, We sell some products, the Viking Tactics Sling and some other products. We also do some writing for some gun magazines, Guns and Ammo, and a few of the other SIPs. And has written written, geez, how many books have you written? Three three books. Three books. So I've actually, I've got your leadership book at home. And then this one, Stay in the Fight. And then the one that really put you on the map was, what was that? Green. Dark green faces, green eyes, or no, black guys with green eyes. I mean, <laughs> green eyes and black rifles. That's what it was. Green eyes and black. Green eyes and black rifles. Black. That's the one that really got us going. That was hard to write because it was the first book I wrote. Stay in the fight was a bit easier, and then leadership in the shadows. That was actually the hardest because of, you know, just a lot of personal experiences there. Yeah, yeah. I, I've actually it's sitting on my nightstand, ready to, for me to start opening the cover if I can ever get out of the entrepreneur <laughs> life. So, hey, without further ado, we're talking about leadership tonight so you know you can spread this out to your family and friends and stuff that'll find this interesting but this is more going to be geared towards you guys out there that may find yourself in a leadership position particularly you cops you firefighters you first responders you military folks that are out there Kyle's written a few different books on leadership his last one is obviously really good without further ado we're going to do a great video that'll that'll prime the pump Zach take it away All of my life, and all of your lives, have come to this point. There is nowhere else to be but here. Nowhere else to live or die but here. To be here now is the only thing that matters. So gather yourselves. Gather all of your strength and all of your sweetness into an iron ball for we will attack again and again until we reach and overcome their king or we die in the attempt. Attack! 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 Blow the horns! Beat the drums! And have courage! For there will be no turning back! Only victory or death! Oh, you're giving away the next clip. (laughs) So, Kyle? Tell us, I mean, um, you know, having been in multiple leadership positions yourself, you know, how applicable is it for a leader to end up, you know, with a special mission unit? Even at that, you're talking about the highest levels of motivated, trained individuals. How important is it for, you know, a leadership speech like that? I, I don't think it's as important for guys that are ready to do their job. I think maybe, you know, if the general comes in and he wants to, he wants to get everybody fired up, but we've also seen how that has backfired. Mm, you know, we had Wesley Clark. <laughs> oh. I don't even want to say his name because it makes me laugh, but uh, a very pathetic leader. And he came in when we were down in Panama. We're getting ready to launch into Lima, Peru, uh, to help some folks out there. We ever ended up not going, but he wanted us to give a big hua 
Now you stand in a bunch of, in front of a bunch of SF guys. Yeah. And there's a bunch of your seventh group dudes there too, right? And you, I was embarrassed. I really felt sad for that guy. Now there's been other occasions where guys like General Garrison got up to speak to us before we went out on our first missions uh, in Somalia, and he was motivating. He was very motivating because he basically said, "We're not going to take any crap. We're not scared of any of these mortars, and we're going to go get some retribution." And that's what it is. I mean, it's he called it like it is. He was a already a credible leader. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna listen to that guy. In my my level of leadership as a troop sergeant major, I try to just be able to say, okay, guys, tonight here's what we're looking for, and that should give confidence to the guys. I don't have to give them all right. Let's win one for the Gipper or anything like that. Right, right. But right. I think a leader stepping up and briefing his men on what they're gonna do that night, that's gonna inspire that confidence too. So it's not necessarily a speech, especially by a traitorous Viking that's now with the French. <laughs> and I know, we were, I was watching that and I was like, wait a minute, that's a guy who's fighting his own people. But, yeah. he, but he's motivating them, he's motivating. Oh, he, yeah, he's, he's gotta motivate the French. the French. I mean, they could have some baguettes or something there and <laughs> that might do the same thing. No, I think, I mean, that's obviously, that's a great speech that he gave there. Uh, you know, we few, we lucky, or what do they say? That we few, we lucky few, or whatever it was. That, uh, oh, now I'm drawing a uh, brain fade here. Well, but you know you, what I'm but, talking about, that yeah, famous yeah, speech. Absolutely. But, you know, I think it's one of those, I think if it's coming from a vetted, you know, somebody that, that people, you know, it's interesting, and we saw this in our time in the military, there are those leaders that, that got there because they earned it, and then there are those leaders that got there because they had, you know, they had they had worked the political system enough that they that they, then all of a sudden they just kind of fell into it. And is and that was the nice thing in special operations is the people that just fell into leadership positions got filtered out. A lot of them over the you know the higher the levels you went, the more the more of those guys got filtered out. But it really didn't take too long to to figure out who was a clown and who wasn't. We had a, a particular instance where I was supposed to get up and speak to a group of 82nd troopers when I was a CSM for our task force in Iraq. And I went back on my history to, you know, this is as far as the bastards are going. And I, get, I used that for part of my speech. And that, that actually, those guys got pretty motivated when I brought that up. Yeah. You know, about, hey, this is as far as the bastards are going. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the absolutely. Marching down the road. Uh, you know, so I think if you can put some history in there, that might be cool. I didn't want to give a touchy-feely address to these guys because they're not like that. They're, they're warriors, and they've been over there beating it for six months. Right. They don't need me to, to step up and I think I like think that. more and more like a, a big tenet of leadership is if they know that they know, your troops know that you're watching out for them. You have their best interest. You're not going to waste them. You're not going to waste their lives. You're not going to waste their time. And, they, and that you're going to shoulder the burden with them. Yeah, we're going to be there. And I think part of that, uh, that speech you can give to your guys is, all right, let's load up, let's move out. That right there. You know, one of the things I do remember, too, from Iraq, we had a leader, uh, General uh, Petraeus, and he would say, at the end of his speeches every night on the radio in northern Iraq, he'd say, what are we doing to win the hearts and minds? And that was one of the least motivating things that I have ever heard on a radio dispatch from a general. Yeah. On the other side of it, we had Colonel Rounds come in with the strikers. This is six months later. And he always finished every one of his speeches with, 
punish the deserving. Now you want to talk about motivating. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very motivating. What are you doing, soldier? I'm punishing the deserving. Yeah, That's there what I'm you going, go. Sir. So, hey, you guys, we've got Kyle Lamb is a special guest with us tonight. He's written multiple books. Um, he's a special mission unit sergeant major before he got out. Ton of experience out there. Now is your time for you guys. Blasting your questions. Zach's got them up here on the uh, on the TV monitor here. So you guys can send in your questions and we'll try to answer them. And then... Kyle, I, you don't have, I don't have my reading glasses on. Either. Well, one of the guys said St. Crispin's Day, and that's what we were, that's what I was referring to, that speech that was given. And, you know, the, the opposing army brought in their horses, their horses were mired down in the mud, and they went in there on foot and they destroyed them. You know, and that's, we few, we lucky few, you know, every day on this day, we're going to get to remember that you were in the oh, arena yeah. and all that. I yeah, mean, that's yeah. what we were talking about there. So history is What's pretty cool. What's that saying is there, there are those that will consider their lives cheap because they were not here with us today. Yep, yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's Henry the eighth or something like and that. And we still feel like that. When I see something on the news that SF guys are out there getting busy, I'm like, man, I'm kind of missing. Can an old guy ride along at least just to watch and I can drive the truck or something at least, right? And then I try to get out of bed and I'm like, ah, damn. <laughs> okay, so what else we got here? We've got, hey, Chuck. Chuck Egan. Hey, man, thanks for tuning in. Good to see you there. Chuck's an old SF guy. Um, we've got Robert Tyler checking in from Texas. Um, we've got, uh, oh, that's Zach. And then we've got South Texas, Grimes Kelly. Hey, you guys. Keep checking in. Let us know where you're watching from. That helps us know for times and subjects and all that stuff. And also, it's kind of a big ego rub, too. So why don't we hear where you guys are coming from? So, Kyle, if, as we're talking about leadership, you know, the term, this is kind of this, it's kind of really a kind of an amorphous thing that's, like, thrown out there all the time. What is, what is leadership? I mean, what is it, really? I think leadership is one, being organized and inspiring to your people. So you have to organize your plan of attack on whatever that mission is. If your mission is to sell products because you work at Walmart, well, you got to figure out how you're going to motivate your people to do that. And then you're going to lead them in that direction. I think in the military, we, we tend to think slightly different because a lot of times the military leadership results in life or death or in winning or losing. Mm -hmm. And we're pretty, yeah. pretty blessed because we're in the U.S. where we we win a lot more than we lose. You know, we're taking yes, it to we the bad guys all the time. But I think being inspiring to people, however that is, and you don't have to say that you're going to get up and give that great speech or you're going to do a song and dance or have a pretty uniform, but be able to take your people, be, be a credible leader, and it could be with, just with your family. You know, how are you a credible leader with your family? You're right. present. You're present with your family to take care of them. Women, they're awesome leaders right out of the gate. They know what they're doing. Us men, we have to work at it a little bit harder. But I think that we can do it at home. We can do it at work, you know, uh, whether it's with your church or it's at, you know, being a, a, a hockey coach mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. You can inspire people, lead them, and hopefully help them to have some success. And on the opposite side of that, I think what's really important is if you're a leader and you have, you don't have success, you're a, a high school football coach or hockey coach or whatever, and you lose, I think the, the true sign of a leader is how you do when things are bad. Yeah. You know, are you there? We have a, a thing that we do in our leadership seminars, want the most important leadership word, the most important leadership trait to you. And one of these guys drew up a picture and it said buoyant at the top of the page and they had these waves that were rolling across the page. And I thought, hey, dude, you know, you don't get any, uh, 
there's no honor grad in this <laughs> class. But I read it and it said, okay, you're buoyant, so you're, that's what you are as a leader. When the wave is high, you're the leader. So we went out on town, we uh, gave a bunch of guys the boot shampoo, we rolled them up, we did all this stuff. Well, the low point is now you got to come back and write up those reports of why you gave that guy the boot shampoo. But guess what? You're still the leader. And I think that's where it's go. important is that you are on the top as a leader when times are good, but more importantly, when things are bad, you know, and, and President Bush is a perfect example of this. When things went bad, he was still our leader. He was still on top. He was standing up there in the truck at 9-11 or at uh, World Trade Center, and he's given a great speech. That's being a leader. Yeah. Times were terrible, and he stepped out there. He didn't want to do that. He had to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the, and really that's the rallying call to, kind of combine everybody together because that's one thing that I that I bring up multiple times. I think in the U.S. mill, the reason why we are so incredibly successful is because we work as cohesive units. We're not individuals that are out there. We work as cohesive units and we bring to bear so many different assets that the rest of the world just hasn't been able to figure that out. So, hey, if you get a chance, Zach, can you scroll back up there? Chuck, Chuck had a, uh, he had a great quote that was on there. Um, and I want to get uh, right there. It's like Chuck Egan, he's old, old SF dog. Like his hair is like this color right here. It's, <laughs> it's even whiter than your beard. Hey, but look <laughs> at this. This is hey, still dark. Wow, that's still dark. That's impressive <laughs> because this is gone. But uh, so Chuck, the best speech I heard from an incoming commander was, gentlemen, here's your left boundary. Here's your right boundary. If you cross the line, get back as fast as you can. I can only cover you for so long. That's awesome. Isn't that great? That's a, that's a John Wayne speech right there. <laughs> that is, that is. And if it's coming, you know, and it's like one of those things where if it's coming from a commander that you know, like, is legit when he says that, it's, to me, it's stuff like that was always motivating because it was like, okay, this guy's giving me my left and right limit, you know, but if I screw up, he's going to do his best to cover me up, to cover me, to make sure I don't get hurt or do something too stupid. But then it's going to be like, but get, get back on the straight and narrow path there really quick or else I can only do so much. So, I mean, knowing your, knowing your six is being covered, you got top cover, cover from a commander was always one of those really motivating things to me. Yeah, and, and to give, to truly give top cover to your people, you've got to know what's going on. Yeah. And that's, that was always the hard thing is having a commander that says, hey guys, in order for me to give you that top cover, I've got to know exactly what's happening. Well, tell them what's going on yeah. and, and you know, take your lumps right there. But, but if that guy's a good leader, that gal's a great leader, they can, they can help you out, you know? But bad news does not get better with time. I, and I'm not sure who I learned that from, but um, Bad news doesn't get better with time. So inevitably, when we'd screw up, I would, uh, I'd go talk to my commander. I go, "Hey, this just happened." He's like, oh, "Okay," and then, then he knew he wasn't getting ambushed while he was walking to the chow hall by some pissed off, you know, colonel that yeah, <laughs> we had slammed the door in his face or something. So, <laughs> hey, so what else? What other questions have we got there? Um, real leaderships are not afraid. So this is Chris Heads, real leaders are not afraid to get involved and the level, the level of their subordinates and get their hands dirty. They lead from the front and not just back bark orders from the rear. How many, uh, how many leaders have you run into over your time that were, I mean, like bad leaders? Well, I don't, I, bad, to me, bad is not the worst leader. 
I think the, uh, the worst leader we could have is somebody that's very self-serving, you know, either they're a dangerous leader or they're a, a leader that's even worse than, you know, a dangerous leader would be somebody that they think they can make good decisions because their leaders have told them they're going to make good decisions, um, even though they're not. Yeah. And then I think the last leader that I've probably learned a lot from would be the leader that doesn't care about the mission or his people or anything. They just care about themselves. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've worked with some leaders that were bad, but I've been very for, fortunate that even a bad leader I could learn something from or that, you know, that dangerous leader. Uh, I learned what not to emulate. Oh, yeah. You've got to see what's wrong. You know, a couple of times in your career when you're young, you kind of see what's wrong so you know. Okay, I don't, that, I'm not going to, when I'm later on, when I'm in charge, I'm not going to do that with that guy or gal's doing. Sometimes we are in positions, nobody likes to be micromanaged, but a lot of times if we work for a micromanager for years, you know, you come in as a young uh, member of our unit as an operator, you go to an assault team, you work your ways up through middle management there, all of a sudden you're assistant team leader and you think, oh wow, this is kind of how it's done. Well, it's not. You got to step back a little bit and see that, yeah, that person was a micromanager. Now I've kind of trained the same way. That's not how we want to be. And micromanagement and supervision are two different things. That's something in the military, you know that better than anybody. You as an SF guy, you might be supervising foreign nationals. You might be supervising a mission in another country. You mm -hmm. might be supervising yeah. just your team, whatever it might be. But supervising and micromanagement, a lot of people try to confuse those. They're, they're completely different. Yeah, and, and we actually, we found out because, you know, with us working so heavily with indigenous forces, if you tried to micromanage those guys, that, that was a quick ticket to insanity and frustration. It really was because those guys, you know, the, you know and after a couple of years into the war, they, they had done it and they had been successful with the ways that they were doing it. So if you came in there and, and tried to micromanage them into doing it a different way, they would literally just look at you like, who are you? And they'd end up doing it their own, and, and it was just a source of endless frustration. Unless you could go, hey, you know what? You guys, you're successful. You're, you're, you're doing it good enough. I, I want to read this one here. Josh McElroy, one of the best quotes I've heard on leadership and have heard it a couple times, but I believe the first time was from Tom DiDomaso. You can delegate authority, but not responsibility. Very interesting story there. He used to work for me, and he took that out of my leadership seminar when he bailed from our company, and he's got it there. So there you go. That's a, that's a good and, one to bring and up. Jo and Josh, actually, Josh and I worked together overseas, so okay, Josh, cool. Josh is a legit dude. So that's good. You're learning some stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, Josh, thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping on. We've actually got a we're, we're starting to have we, – we run a few more of these. We're going to start having family reunions on Facebook here with some of these guys that are on here from the old days. So that's pretty cool. But thanks for showing up, Josh. So what are some other things that you guys go over when your leadership seminars? Let me, let, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna throw you a curveball here a little bit. What are some of the biggest challenges that you run into with students when you're doing leadership seminars? Probably the biggest challenge would be that some of our students will say, well, that's fine for you in the military, but we can't do that. We can't do that in law enforcement because we can't operate like you do. They think that uh, the military is a scorched earth policy. Yeah, which you know. is nothing, nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. I think it's a cop out, first of all, and leaders in the law enforcement side of the world 
probably the, the most difficult thing they have to deal with right now. They still have a mission and they're not following that mission. Their mission is to protect and serve the constituents of their area. You know, mm -hmm. so whoever is, maybe constituents, not the right word, but your customers are us. If you're you know, a Salt Lake City police officer or you're a Nashville, Tennessee mm -hmm. police officer, you work for the residents of that, of that town. And one of the problems that I see, probably the biggest problem is they say, well, we've got to send a different message. Well, what is the message you're sending? You're sending the message to all of us law-abiding citizens that it's okay for the bad guys to make a stink and now you're going to pick the side of the bad guy versus the, the side of your... Of the citizen. Your, yeah, your, or, or of the law enforcement officer that's uh, done everything legally. And uh, I think political correctness is probably the hardest thing that we have to, have to deal with. Also, the other thing that's difficult is people don't like to tell the truth. They don't want to be honest with people. And I think... Uh, I think that's a that's hard. It's hard to be honest with your people sometimes because the truth hurts. But you got to do it. You've got to be honest with your people, no matter what, good or bad. Be honest. Remember the uh, we had to write NCOERs. Yep. Oh yeah. You know, I uh, wrote one for a guy, and I said people follow him into combat out of pure curiosity. <laughs> and I also wrote on the same one. I said couldn't pour piss out of a boot if the directions were written on the bottom of the boot. Okay, obviously that's that's joking. But down the same line, how many times did guys put false information on those NCOERs? Oh, all the time. Be honest. If you would because have been, it was a piss, it was a pencil whipping exercise. And it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. We want to pick the best guy for the job. I sat up in Indianapolis on the the uh, E7 promotion board one time as a representative for the SMUs, right? And that was a really an eye opener. We had to look at a lot of stuff to find out who the best guy was because there was a lot of inflated garbage. Yeah. Now I'll tell you, there's one unit in particular that did a spectacular job, and that was the Rangers. The huh. Rangers, th their NCOERs were the best that I saw because of one thing, and that's they were honest. Huh. Absolutely honest. You know what I mean? It, may, it, yeah. may, it was easy to judge judge this character that we're looking at because we get to you know we get to look at his records we get to look at his pic picture and anything that's went wrong in his life we get to see that too but a picture okay whatever we didn't look at that till the very last thing but when i read their ncoers the the trend i was seeing was the comments matched the way that they were rated interesting and, and they did a spectacular job oh, oh so the rangers are doing it right i think so so josh is uh indigenous for or that's actually is chuck josh uh Josh actually said when he showed up to one of the things I was working at, he remembered and I was like, yeah, they, they look weird, but they get it done this way. And that's one of those instances where it was like, hey, it, it, is it the best way? Is it the wrong? They're getting it done. They're successful. Don't mess with it. That's their recipe for success. It works. It's a lot easier for us as the gringos to, to adjust. And it's like, okay, that's how they're doing it. I'll adjust to how you guys are doing it. Because... The proof was in the pudding. I mean, after, geez, thousands of missions, like yeah, they're doing it. It's like, all right, I'm gonna stick with these guys. So my area of expertise when I was in the military, I started out Fifth Special Forces Group, and I when I say my area of expertise, don't think that I'm saying I'm more of an expert than the guys there, because I'm not. The guys in Fifth Group, they're the experts. But that's where I started out, and one of the things that I realized quickly was two Pepto Bismol tablets could really help you to establish good leadership uh, bonds with the folks you're with. The reason I say that is because at first I didn't take the Pepto and I would eat the chow with him trying to fit in 
And, and they're impressed when you sit down and eat the farkawi roos, you know, rice and chicken or whatever. I started popping two of those chewable Pepto-Bismol. I could eat anything. <laughs> and those jokers are like, whoa, I can't believe this guy's doing this. And all of a sudden, you know, you're their bro after that. That's right. And I didn't learn that till I was in the unit. That's right. And I, I ate a lot of crap. But I'll tell you what, it really, just sitting down at, a, at somebody else's table and being gracious, they're being gracious to host you there. Uh -huh. You need to be gracious enough to take off your hat and sit down with them and break bread. And that may sound like a stupid thing, but that initial bond that you make with those people can last for years or a lifetime because your lifetime might not be that long with those folks. Well, you know, it, it always amazed me how much personality came into things like, like combat zones. I mean, you, there were U.S. commanders that we had talked to that they would like, what do you guys need? And like literally if we had said, we need you to move that mountain over there. They'd have been like, all right, I'm sending guys with shovels right now. What else do you need? And then we had other commanders that like literally, they were like, what do you need? And if you asked them for a nickel, they'd have told you they had a harmonica lesson and they couldn't make it. Like literally, yeah. like guys were like, oh yeah, we'll help you out. And then you like literally calling for help on the radio. And they're like, who are you? I don't remember talking to you. And it was all personality, all personality. It was just amazing. And the Indige were so much the same way as if you won that rapport with those guys, they, they, they break their backs for you. Like, I mean, like literally. So well, what there's, there's a good question right there from Chris Yates. Can I read that? Yeah, go for it. So Chris says, I lead a 1200 member Patriot group and my biggest challenge is motivation. I have 100 super devoted and active people and the rest are not as active as I'd like. How do I fire them up? Suggestions. Okay, the first thing I would say is, this is my opinion. In order to motivate people, there's a couple things we can do. You can give them money. And obviously for this, we're not gonna give them money and in business, that's how they do it. In the army, you don't get any money. So we've gotta do it other ways. One way to do that is with competition. Being in competition with other people is a motivator and it helps to build your team. And that's obviously what you're trying to do. If you've got 1,200 people, you want them all working as a cohesive team. But probably the best way that I've found is we take some of those outlying members. It could be, let's say you have, a, a for us, it would be an ODA, 12-man ODA, and you've got somebody that's there, but you want to get them more motivated. How would you do that? You would give them a task that they were in charge of. Yep. And you know when a guy is put in charge, they don't want to fail. I don't care if it's a member of a patriot group or if it's a member of the military, they're going to get out there, they're going to try to do the best that they can. And what that allows us to do is get those guys motivated. No matter what that little task is that we give them, hopefully that will help to get them motivated so they'll want to do more taskings. And what you'll also find out then is who the right people are that we should continue to go back to. Some are going to maybe not be the greatest when they're in that position. Yeah. Uh, others might just be unbelievably amazing and they just never had the confidence to uh, step up they got the competence but they may not have the confidence in that crowd we'll, we'll put them where their strengths are at and, and I always found too for like if you want to keep if you want to motivate people then make sure that they don't feel like they're wasting their time nobody nobody likes to feel like they're wasting their time even the kid who lives in his mom's basement that plays video games all day if you're not if you're not doing stuff that he doesn't feel like he's wasting his time, guess what? He's going to run back downstairs and pl keep playing video games because that's where he finds his fulfillment. So that's the challenge as a leader is to, you know, you're constantly looking to motivate and train and mentor all of your, you know, whoever your subordinates or your peers or whatever that is because, man, as soon as human beings start losing interest, 
they're they're gone. And so that didn't and really if we really want to do the math, you get about ten percent seem to be the the hardcore ones that work, and then you end up with about ninety percent and then you end up with about what is it, about probably about fifty percent that are like, Yeah, okay, they're there, they're not gonna really do too much, and then you you run them with about, you know, twenty percent that's just kinda like They'll show up if it's cool and it's free cake and ice cream. But other than that, don't count too much. Yeah. yeah. We had one question up here a uh, little bit higher up. It said, what's the worst? Um, it was. Oh, that was us. He said that one of you guys said it. OK, so let's flip it. Tell us the worst leadership example you ever seen. Yeah. Well, what is the worst leadership example you ever saw? Hmm. You go first on this one. <laughs> the worst example. You know, I'll, I'll take it back to uh, I'll take it back to Ranger School, and 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 then I'm gonna I'll bring this full circle. You know, like in the in the U.S. military, you guys gotta understand out there. You guys, if you've ever been to Ranger School, you'll know immediately what I'm talking about. But you know, Ranger School is not a commando school. That's a huge misnomer. Ranger School is a leadership school. It's got nothing to do with really about tactics or anything. And I'm sure there's some rangers that are screaming and pulling their hair out right now but if you think about it give me a give me a bear with me here for a second it's a leadership school where you're you're learning to you're learning to pull off operations when people are cold tired and hungry and 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 any of you guys that have been in ranger school the cold tired and hungry is to like the extreme like you've never experienced before but you go through and the number one thing and this is where I'm pulling this full circle with, with the United States because it's really, it's kind of indicative or it's kind of unique to the United States. The number one thing that will get you bumped out of ranger school is if somebody doesn't know what the plan is. So like in the U.S. mill for us, like leadership starts here, right? So you've got your patrol leader, squad leader, whoever that is, and they've got to disseminate that information all the way down to the ground level guy and a favorite trick of the RIs that they'd come up and they'd ask some dude out on the line and go, hey, Ranger, what's the plan today? And if you didn't know, then the RI would turn around and go, hey, squad leader, the entire chain of command is fucking fired. You're <laughs> out of here. You know, and you're like, oh, this guy didn't know it. So when I would say the least leadership trait that I've seen is leaders that, that, that like, hold the information like it's this rice bowl effect of holding information and not disseminating the information early or whenever they get the information is really and it, it really it drives people absolutely nuts we had a we had a commander that decided that instead of bottom-up planning and when some people hear bottom-up planning they think you know we're going to take a private and he's going to plan the mission no we're going to take a bunch of operators and we're going to take the guys that know what they're doing and the, even the lowest man on the totem pole, if he has the experience, he's gonna be part of that planning process. So we got a new commander in, squadron commander, and he decided that we would use MDMP, the Military Decision-Making decision -making process. process. You have to come up with three written courses of action and blah, 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 do a risk assessment and all this stuff. The easiest way to unmotivate a bunch of our guys was to not have them working. <laughs> they wanted to be working. They, they felt like that's their job is to plan this mission. Now, all of a sudden, it's the troop commanders and troop sergeant majors doing it, and they hated it, too, because that's not their job. If you want to you be creative, you let everybody get involved in that process. So we went from where in a normal bottom-up planning process, let's say you got a six-man team. There's going to be six different plans right there. Oh, yeah. And now we've got three of those assault teams, so there's 18 plans. 
So before you even get it out of the team room, you've got a bunch of plans that are hitting. And instead of having three plans, three courses of action, then you got to select one. Slowly, those six are going to become two, are going to become one. And then all of a sudden, you go to another team. They've got their best. The next guy's got their best. We hear all that. And next thing you know, in less time, we have the best course of action. And a risk assessment, our next commander came in and he said, okay, bottom-up planning, that's what we're doing. Any questions? No questions. Risk assessment, he goes, everything we do is dangerous. Any questions? Now, obviously, if you're a law enforcement officer, what I don't want you to think is you got a barricaded suspect. We don't run, go running in there. Even though during that planning process in Oakland a few years ago, we had uh, two motor cops that were killed. Uh, they believed that the bad guy was 100 yards away inside of a building. Hey, let's just run in there quick to make sure he's not there. If they would have known he was there, do you think they would have just run in the front door? No. No. So a lot of things went wrong. A lot of the, the, the LT screwed up. Obviously, he was probably the biggest blame. Some of the sergeants might have screwed that up a little bit, and many of the sergeants were the guys that went in. Uh, Irv Romans and Dan Sakai were the two uh, SWAT officers that were killed when they made that entry, all because we got a, ahead of ourselves in that planning process. If we would have stopped and said, is that person in there? If we think he's in there, he's a barricaded suspect, we shouldn't be going in there without using all of our tools, whether it's a dog or gas yeah. or time or whatever it might be. So you don't, don't think when I say risk assessment, I'm taking it lightly. What I'm saying is there's certain things we, we've got those on the shelf. We need to grab them. We know that when you jump out of a helicopter, slide down a fast rope, yep, it's dangerous. But we're going to do it, right? We're going to do it no matter what. So right. we're going to get busy and get out there and make it happen. So I have a great fast roping story, by the way, but I don't want to break your chance. Go, <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, let's let's get to some of these questions. So you guys that are just tuning in right now, we've got people that are coming in and coming out and stuff. But hey, tonight we're talking. We've got Kyle Lamb. He's here. He's gracious enough to come on here. If you don't know who Kyle is. Well, you told you, me I get free supper if I came here. Absolutely. Okay. We're always MRE. doing for free chow. <laughs> I think we've got some of the 40 year old rations we were doing before. <laughs> But if you don't know who Kyle M is, go to vikingtactics.com. He's written several books. Here's one of them, Stay in the Fight. This one's a pistol carbine book. Pistol, all pistol in oh, that Oh, this one. one's all pistol, all sorry. Pistol, yep. And you've got a great picture of you on the back there. <laughs> then you've written a leadership book and actually several pistol carbine books on tactics and TTPs and manipulation. And if you want to learn all things close quarter you, do you have any long range stuff? I think it's all. Yeah, we've done some long range stuff, but that uh, was kind of my job in the military and it was boring. So yeah. I don't do much of that anymore. I, I, I find long range stuff is like chloroform. I just, I, I kind of like, uh, what? Oh yeah. I think it's awesome. I just, I don't teach many of those classes anymore. Every now and again, we'll do a high angle long range class, but long range there might be six to 800 yards. Oh, okay. Uh, some of the super long range stuff, we're just not messing with that. That's a, a whole new ball of toys you got to play with. You know, with the new weapon systems, a lot of the electronics out there, and uh, I, I try to work out to about six, seven hundred yards with my hunting rifles, and that's about as far as I stretch it out these days. Huge, huge hunter. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit, but uh, I still want my pork chops, Jeff. Chuck, you just got to come over, bro. Come over. They're there. Hey, Zach, we're getting ready. Let's play clip number two. We're going to see some. We're going to see the pinnacle of leadership from the early Soviet Union. You guys watch.
nincs visszavonulás! Egy lépés se hátra! Nincs Without guns and run really fast. And if you turn around and come back, then we'll shoot you. Yeah, I would say that's a very good technique that's being used currently with American law enforcement. Because we got American law enforcement guys out there in the streets, just like those guys are right there, charging against the enemy, and then they're not getting any support from their commanders. When they come back, Ooh. these guys go out and they do the right thing on the battlefield, which is, I'm getting a little fired up, sorry. Yeah, no, this really, is great. It really pisses me off because these guys are doing what's right. They're doing what we've asked them to do. We don't give them all the training that we need, that they need. We don't give them all the gear that they need. And then they go out there, they do the deed, they're successful or not, either way. But even if they're successful, they eliminate that threat, they protect us, they turn around to come back to friendly lines, and they get gunned down by their commanders, whether it's the, the, the captain, the sergeant, the chief of police, the, uh, the mayor, mayor, whatever it might be. So I think in America these days, we, we see that. Yeah, you, we look at that and we say, oh, wow, that's terrible. It's, it is terrible, and we're doing it to our own people. So how do we, so how do we, um, how do we avoid that? What do we... Because there are there are bad apples. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna play the contrarian here, even though I don't necessarily believe what I'm saying. So bear with me. But even though there are some bad apples in the bad apples that are in the barrel, how do we? How what what can leaders do? I mean, what are they? What would what should they do? They should stop and take a breath, and think about what they're gonna say before they say it. Because if we look at the facts, and the facts tell us that. Most of these guys are not guilty of anything, of any illegal, whatever it might be, and then make the call. But right now, it's knee-jerk reaction of mm. we blurt right out whatever the political correct statement is. So here we got a guy that goes out and gets in a gunfight with a bad guy, and he kills the bad guy. It's a legitimate shoot. It's good to go. And that officer gets punished, and they, their lives can be ruined. Yet on the other hand, we've got officers that stand and do racial symbols in support of the, the NFL guys that are taking a knee during the national anthem. And we got guys doing the black power symbol, law enforcement officers en masse in New York, and they're not punished. Mm, interesting. It's, it's twisted, man. It's, a, it's, it's completely twisted. And... Uh, Man, you so, got me fired up. And Sorry. So, and so really, I mean, when it all comes down to it, it's it's leadership, isn't it? It's it's a lack of leadership. Everything's yeah, about leadership. Thereof. Yeah, the leadership or the lack thereof, and I think it's something that So how know, do we how do we fix that? Because I, again, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here a little bit. So if we if if the chief of police or the sheriff is the elected official of the people, then what do we do? Because yeah, well, the chief of police is appointed normally, right? So normally we yeah, have back, back a, yeah, and forth, we yeah. have a mayor normally that appoints the chief of police. So so the, it's a it's a political position. Yep, so it's, the mayor is elected, the chief of police is uh, appointed, and then we got all the officers that are doing their thing. What I would tell you as an officer, keep your head up because we, as the law-abiding citizens of this country, we want you to maintain that law and order. Yeah. And eventually, it's going, to be, it's going to be okay. Get out there and do your job. Do it correctly. Follow all the laws that are, are set forth above you, as well as for the military guys. 
And in the end, it's you got to have faith in the system. I guess that's the biggest thing I see right now. You know, in America these days, we got some fighting the other side, and it's hard to tell who's right and who's wrong sometimes. Right now, we feel yeah. like we're right because we got our guy in a in a in that elevated level. Um, and I do feel like with our current president, he's actually taken some input from both sides and he's making a decision. Some people don't like it, but the thing about the president now is he calls it the way he sees it. And I kind of appreciate that. I would rather know you tell me how you feel and then I know how you feel. Instead of you telling me how you think I feel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, the, and we may not always be happy with that, but at least it's like, man, I, okay, at least I think I'm getting some of the truth there. So we've got, hey, Eric. Eric's uh, tuning in there. You know Eric. Eric Lawrence. Oh, yeah. Selling, All right. Cool, selling, man. You're selling one of his books. And then, Heck, uh, yeah. And then I think Bill uh, Kuntz has got a great question. It's like, how come leadership, how come military leadership doesn't transfer to civilian leadership like it used to in the past? Hmm. I think it still can. I really think it can. And I think if you guys are a great example of that, you're a civilian. I'm a civilian or citizen or whatever you want to call it. And I think that our leadership, we're doing well in our businesses. And, and I got to tell you, it's not because I grew up on a farm in South Dakota. It's because of the time I had in the military. So I think that, I think we can be successful with our military leadership. Um, there are still businesses out there that want honest, hardcore leaders to lead their people and do those things that are hard, make those hard calls. You know, some of the successful companies, we're talking about 5.11, Tom yeah. Davin, he's mm -hmm. a CEO, former, former Marine, Marine. Yep. an awesome leader. That's just one of a bunch. And you don't have to be a military guy to use military leadership. You know, I think that's part of the, it's just a falsehood. You don't have to meet, be a military person. You can. Well, I mean, but think about it. Where did, if you look at the genesis of, a, of military leadership, it was leadership that, 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 the, the spring from the most adverse high stress situations that, that uh, are possible. And I think there's a big misnomer with people that are out there that they think like military leadership is some guy getting in your face and saying, do it, do it, you can do it. And it's like, that is, that's not leadership. That's Hollywood bullshit that's, that's out there. And so, cause true leadership, I mean, I can't think of any leaders that ever yelled at me to motivate me that we'd have probably gotten in a fist fight. Maybe in basic training. Maybe, but that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't leadership. That no, was no. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. You know, the, if you think about it, that wasn't leadership. That was that was indoctrination, or that was that was getting you to the point that you'll just shut up and listen to what it is they're trying to to teach you. So I shouldn't say indoctrination. That sounds like so. So a military leader in a in a civilian organization. So we call it commander's intent, and they call it a vision. Yeah. Or. Uh, some of them call it a mission statement, but I, to me, that's something a little bit different. But I think if we look at it, commander's intent, if I'm a leader of a business, I tell my people wh what I want them to accomplish. I don't tell them how to get there. And the reason we don't do that, and you know this as well as I do, there's all these awesome young people that are going to come to work with you or for you, and they're going to be way more talented at any of this stuff. I'm telling you right now, I'm looking at all these cameras and these computers. There ain't no way Big Sarge here could set that up. I know I can't set it up. <laughs> that was Grandmaster Spin Zach back there set all that up. Right. So we've got to have these guys that we say, hey, Zach, here's what I want to accomplish. Zach or Harry or whoever it might be. Here's what I want to make happen. Any questions? No questions. Roger that. Now we step back and we tell, supervise. Tell me what you need. That's a military leadership technique. Yeah. 
Okay, but uh, and, and one of the other things too is you've got to you can't first of all you can't fall in love with your plan because you may have to change direction as we go. You know that uh, as leaders in the military, of course, we had to do that. If there's more information that you gather intel from the objective or intel from the world you're working in now as a as a business leader, um, or you just find out what you're doing doesn't work. Yeah, and it's like man, okay, adjust fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, what else we got here? Let's see. So there was another great one that was, uh, what are some of the challenges civilians face in learning, employing, and practicing military leadership having not had the military experience? Oh, that's a great question. So, I mean, there's probably, you probably run into more and more police officers in your training that were never in the military before. So what are some of the yeah, challenges? I, I would say that's changing though. I oh. saw it down when I first started doing this and uh -huh. now it's going up. Oh, interesting. It's really, it's, it's a positive. I think that's positive because I think if we have military men and women that are getting out of one uniform, it's a great opportunity for, for them to step into another uniform. It's a change by, I mean, it's definitely a change because they are not given as clear a guidance. Uh, and, and I'm not, that's not a hit on anybody. It's just a, you're operating in a different environment. We have rights inside of our borders at least we're trying to maintain right. those rights outside of the borders as a military person you can operate a little bit differently i'm not saying that bad guys downrange didn't have rights but they didn't have their constitutional rights because they're not americans we had a mission and here's where we're gonna here's where we're gonna go um i kind of what, what's the biggest what's the biggest thing that you see i guess and probably if i can extrapolate a little bit of what they're asking about there is What's the biggest challenge that you run into people that were never in the military, they've never had any experienced leadership? What's, the, what's that big challenge that you run into of basically getting them to have that aha moment where they finally get it? Because th there's plenty of leaders out there that have never really had any leadership experience. Yeah, probably they, they've got to try to develop their credibility. So how do we do that? How do we develop our own credibility as a leader in a business setting? Well, you've got to be there present for your people. And I think that's part of it. A lot of times leaders think, well, I'm the leader. I got to go sit in my corner office. No, as a great leader out in business, you kind of got to be there with your people. Uh, Ron Cohen, who is the, the boss over at Sig Sauer is a great example. When he first came to, to work for Sig and they said, here's this company. And it's, <laughs> they bought it for like 25 cents, literally, uh, as part of a, a bigger deal. But they bought that company for, I believe it was a quarter. Um, those guys can correct me if I'm wrong. It's a great story nonetheless. Yeah, that is a great story. He sat down and he said, hey, I'm right here. You guys need anything, let me know. And, he, and he, he got an email from a guy and he looked and he goes, I just got an email from the guy on the other side of the room. And he wasn't happy with that. And he got up and he went over and he said, hey, you just sent me an email. How about next time you just come talk to me? He goes, no, I got to send the email. No, I'm here to change the culture and you just need to come talk to me because that's how we're going to do this face to face. A lot of times in business now it's, oh, email's fine. Well, face to face is better. Yeah, there's a way to be efficient with email because we're out there and we're, you know, military, you might be in different locations, different countries, yeah. wherever it might be. For us in business, you normally can get up and walk to that person and tell them what, you know, what, what you need to tell them. So that's one thing he did. The second thing he did was he said, we're here to work. We're not here to be dressed a certain way. If you come in tomorrow in a suit, you're fired. And guess what? Dude showed up in suits and he fired him. 
Wow. He wanted to change their mentality from, wow. I'm a guy that sits at a desk in a suit and I get paid a lot of money and I send emails. I basically, I basically shuffle emails all day. He said, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to make this into a great firearms company. And, and you look at them now. Yeah. They're, they're, they're crushing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they went in the, the pistol contract. I'm, and I'm lucky. I'm working with them. And I'm super stoked because of a guy like that who's in charge because he's taking his people. And, you know, we got several unit guys that now work for SIG just because of that man. His huh. leadership style is what attracted them, and his leadership style is what has kept them there. Interesting. And a lot of military dudes. You go to SIG Academy, they so got is, so many is military. He, and, is he a former mill guy? I hate to say it, but yes, he is. Oh, he was. Okay. Israeli, minister, uh, Israeli Defense Forces. Oh, yep. really? Interesting. Okay. And his son right now is serving as well over there in Israel. Oh, so, wow. yeah, he's, he's, he's a military leader, but I think it's something that we can take from him. I mean, that's not something out of a military manual. It's something out of a leadership manual. So yeah. don't think leadership yeah. is military or law enforcement or civilian. I think we can, we can all do that. If you're, uh, you're lucky, if you're making peanut butter for a living, because if something goes wrong, well, I guess people could die from peanut butter too. But, you know, for the <laughs> missions that we're conducting, if we do something incorrectly, literally people could die. You know, whether it's how you're setting up your FARP to land your helicopters, to refuel, whatever it might be. Uh, we've got to think through that process. And I think in business, it's the same thing. Have a plan. Don't be afraid to deviate from that plan, but at least have a plan. And I think, and I think that's something that Chuck brings up there where he's like, it's really hard to have a military type leadership in the corporate world because the CEOs don't have a plan half the time. They're just yeah. kind of like, they're just kind of playing pachinko machine as they're moving down through life. So it's, so it sounds like, you know, it's one of those, let's read that. It says it's the safe road to not being held accountable Corporate Leader 101. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you. That, so when I first got out of the military and I got forced into doing this leadership seminar, the, the Leadership in the Shadows seminar, and I'm not going to tell you how I got forced into it, but I wanted to become smarter on leadership and some of the ways that civilians talk about leadership. And I started buying leadership books. And it was nothing about leadership. It was how to step on the necks of those people around you and get to a higher position. Not all of them. But some of these books were just horrendous. It, it had nothing. To, it was all about me, 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 me. Me, 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 my, 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 me, me, me. If I talk to a leader and they say, I did this and I have this and I have captured that. And, I, and as soon as I hear I, I shut down. Yeah. Because it is a we thing. And if you think that you're doing it by yourself, you're, you're sadly mistaken. We have to have great people working with us. They're going to take you to the finish mm -hmm. line. They're going to make you successful. We used to have... Troop commanders come on board, and one of the things we told them was, let us make you successful. If you do your job, we'll be able to do our job and vice versa. So I think it's uh, that's a great, yeah, Corporate Leader 101 sometimes is very, uh, man, it's very, it's very well, disturbing. But, but do you think that comes from kind of this millennial, I mean, we, you know, guys no. our age like to pick on, or do you think that's something think that's so. always kind of been there? I think it's always been there. I absolutely think it's always been there. And if you read, uh, if you read history, if you go back to even not that far back in history to the, like the early 1900s, and you have guys like, uh, well, around the turn of the century, say we had the Roosevelt's, oh. Teddy Roosevelt, some of the ways that they led, uh, I like Roosevelt, I definitely do. But when you see what politicians were doing at that time in America, it was, uh, Things aren't any worse right now. <laughs> it was uh, exactly what they're doing today. 
exactly what they're doing today and we can't blame that on the military and we can't blame it on the millennials i think it's our jobs as leaders we need to educate millennials are not bad people you know we've got a i'd say my son is a millennial oh this guy we just got somebody looking at us here old zach he's not a bad guy he's got a job sometimes he dresses like a hipster but other than that he's good to go right other than that he's okay <laughs> So we, we're, we're not all going to be the same. Not everybody's going to listen to Charlie Daniels and Johnny Cash like I do, you know? So Ooh, nothing you. wrong with that, thank right? goodness. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite band? Uh, you know, it, it's, I, it's funny. I just Hootie got, and the Blowfish? I, I just got asked this earlier. and Actually, I, I listen to death metal. And so there's just something about it that, that relaxes me. And um, so my, and my wife does not understand it at all i call that cookie monster music i want a cookie i want it now <laughs> that's that's what i pretty and i'm all i'm pushing 50 so it's like i know what i like so you guys we we've got a few more minutes left in the year that we're we're going through here we've got kyle lamb the who's who with pistol carbine out there he's got training courses going on all the time kyle where if people want to see more of your stuff where do they need to go uh, go to YouTube on our channel there, the Viking Tactics YouTube channel. We're, we're trying to post video stuff out there when we can. Uh, Facebook, Viking Tactics. I guess Instagram, we have vikingtactics.com, our website. If you're trying to get into one of our classes, and I don't want to be mean here, but you really got to look to get in one of our classes because we book way in advance. Uh, look online. You'll find some of the places we train in Florida or Colorado or New Hampshire or wherever it might be, Oklahoma uh louisiana chile one of my buddies is here with us today if you want to get in those classes you're going to have to search in those areas and th those guys will tell you when and where those classes are going to be we normally don't get in their business because they book them faster than they don't need our help so they book them up and then we go teach the classes so we're out there and keep watching us uh and, and you guys are doing great stuff too keep checking out um, the savage gentleman podcast here as well as the ready man man I, i'm digging what you got we're 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 continuing to spread we're trying to get better we're doing the best that we can so training the indigenous indigenous forces of america training the indigenous forces of america we actually we just got interviewed um by fox fox news and helped them write an article and and um, they came back and said it was credited with helping to save a whole bunch of people with just real common sense little tips that were there but um you know, go figure. So that's what it's all about though, right? <laughs> yep, for sure. All right. So keep blasting in your questions. We got like two minutes left, but, um, yep. Chris Yates, Chris Ogre Yates. Love that middle name. Yeah. We're going to do a mixtape. So we're going to have Charlie Daniels mixed with five finger death punch. You're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. I heard a band the other day. Well, I heard it many years ago, but it was called Hacy Dixie instead of ACDC. It was Hacy Dixie. And they did all these songs like gin and juice and all these songs, but it was like uh, bluegrass. Oh, wow. hilarious. But did you ever, who was the, uh, he was the famous, famous Vegas singer. And he did a Christmas tape that was heavy metal. What was that guy's name? He's got uh, black hair. Oh he, yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, um, uh, and he's like, Hey, how are you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't, I don't so remember. So he kind of replaced name. Frank Sinatra or whatever. And he was singing like Metallica. He's in your bedroom, <laughs> under your bed, inter Sandman. <laughs> so. Greatest military leader of all time. That's a good one. Who Greatest military leader of all time, I'm going to say was, how about, great, how about I go with gate, greatest cavalry leader of all time, Nathan sure. Bedford Forrest. Why is that? 
Have you read about that joker? Yeah, but that, I mean, guy, that doesn't mean the, these guys don't. Okay, Nathan Bedford Forrest was a, a southern gentleman down there from Tennessee, which is where I live nowadays, so I call Tennessee home. Um, I think that uh, he did the most with the least, and he led his men from the front. His men respected him. He had credibility. Uh, unfortunately, he also had some commanders that were not the greatest leaders, and I think he did a... We call those leadership challenges. Yeah, I think he had a. I think he did a spectacular job, and really, probably my my hero would be George Washington. And the reason I like George Washington so much is because if it wasn't for him, I do not believe America would exist right now. Absolutely not. Absolutely he told not. his men where to be and what to do, and and what was going to happen. And guess what? He was the only guy that crossed the Delaware. Those other four or five commanders did not accomplish their tasks that were set forward that day, but he crossed the Delaware and he, uh, with another former president or soon to be president, who was that? Burr? No, no, no. Burr was never president of the United States. Burr actually killed Alexander Hamilton, right? Oh, yes. So yes. who was it? Monroe. Monroe. Monroe oh. was one of the guys that went across the Delaware with him, not with him, but made it across the Delaware. He ended up being the president of the United States later on, and he was one of the guys that was injured when they took the guns from the Haitians, Hessians, Hessians, Hessians there when they crossed. It was like Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or whatever wow. it was. So I, I would definitely, I would, I would say top military leader. You know, the more I kind of deep dive into history and in uh, George Washington, man, that guy. I, it, it was like my history teacher in high school used to call him not brilliant but balanced. And he was unbelievably like you read about you read about George Washington when he was in the French and Indian War and like one yeah. in the in the in Braddock's massacre. He had what, two, three horses shot out from underneath him. He had something like 20 bullet holes through his yeah. clothing. And he was and he a man. He was survived. a surveyor. So he lived in the woods. He knew how to be a surveyor. He knew how to use a, a weapon system. I think that, you know, that's another part that really keyed me in. But uh him stepping in there and doing what he did. If John Adams would have been the first president of the United States, I think we would have called him king. Yeah. And I think it would have ended right there. Yep. So I, I'm a huge well, fan it's, of... It's, uh, you know, as my brother likes to say, it's, it's the first and only time in history when the haves risked it all, and then when they won, they gave it to the have-nots. Yeah. So it's like the, you had these rich, rich guys because all of the early founding fathers were all wealthy men. And they literally risked everything for independence. And then when, when they got it, and Washington was the leader leading the charge, when they, when they got it, he gave it all back to the people. Unprecedented in the history of the world. Absolutely unprecedented. Pretty good experiment we still have surviving today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you think things on. are bad right now, folks, I would tell you to read history. Yeah. We've been through a lot rougher times, and I think we're going to... And we'll we're come gonna out weather, of this. Yeah, we're going to weather the storm here. Yeah. It just takes us standing up for what's right. And one of the, I had a, a guy question me one time at a leadership seminar. I was speaking out in California, and he wrote a question that said, can we win this war, yes or no? If yes, how? And my answer was, first of all, I wanted to find out who said that. He was some little doctor dude in the back, very nice guy, but he'd been a doctor his whole life. It was for a bunch of first responders, doctors, uh, nurses, Kaiser Permanente, some of those folks that are going to help with a national tragedy, you know, emergency that they would give serum or whatever to people or vaccines or whatever you call it. Serum, I guess that's a that's an old serum. word there. Vaccines. He said, can we win this war? And I said, simply, yes, of course we can win this war. And he said, if, if yes, how? And I said, 
you just got to pick a side. You're either with us or against us. So right now, I think in America, that's one of the problems we have is we got a lot of people waffling in the middle. Yeah. So my beliefs, I probably would have said 10 years ago that they were a little gray in the middle. They're not anymore. As I've matured, I'm definitely have picked my side and I want to be on the side of, of, of the right. Um, and I don't mean the right by the right versus the left. I mean the correct side. And I feel like in America, we're, we're, we're in that side. But if you're not making those decisions, you know, if you watch TV and you go, well, I don't know about that. Well, you better make a decision. Well, have you, have you ever, do you ever watch Penn and Teller? I've seen them, yeah. So, so um, Penn, Penn the, you know, the big guy, he, they're both hardcore libertarians. And he has this great quote where he says, if there's something that we're looking at fixing in our society, why don't we investigate increasing freedom first before we create a law that will remove freedom. Let's see if increasing freedom will take care of the problem versus creating a law that will, and, and really that comes down to all of us because we are the ones that elect the state legislators and the federal legislators. The guys that are up there putting pen to paper, coming up with all these laws, it's, it's us that elect them. So yeah, yep. those are really, you know, and, we, and all of a sudden it's like, man, we have the power. We can, you congressman every two years. Hey, you suck. Get out. Yeah. Yep. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, hey, Kyle, we're about out of time. I'm going to give you the parting shots and then we're going to, uh, we've got a quick video of probably one of the foremost leaders of our current time, 2017. Kyle, parting shots. God bless America. Well said. Zach, hit it. What keeps you awake at night? Nothing. I keep other people awake at night. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you.